Radical Grace Today. Um, We've already talked a bit about how the radical idea that you can be right with God entirely by what God has done, his grace, his generosity, changed the Western world 500 years ago. Now we're going to look at how this idea changed the world in Jesus' day or just after Jesus' day and also how it still has massive implications for our world today, especially as we relate to people from a Roman Catholic background who, by the way, make up one in four people in Australia. We're all surrounded by people from a Roman Catholic background, our friends, our neighbours, our families, um, many, many Roman Catholics surround us. In fact, in this area, almost one in three people are from a Roman Catholic background. Let's pray. Father in heaven, an idea that we're very familiar with Uh, Because of the hard work of Christians over the last 2,000 years, the idea that we are saved entirely by your gift of yourself to us through Jesus and your spirit, and that that changes our lives and that changes our societies and it changes our cultures and it changes our world. Father, help us to think deeply about that today in the context that we're in for your glory through Jesus. Amen. Gifts make people jealous. Have you ever thought about this idea? I mean, it's all right if you're the one receiving the gift, but what if you miss out? A couple of weeks ago, I was offered the chance to climb up the bell tower in my church at St Matthew's Manly. Now, I'm not saying it's the best view in Manly, but the church is right on the Corso, and there are expansive views right over the ocean, and expansive views right over the harbour. And as long as you're not afraid of heights, this is a highly valued privilege at my church that very few people get to experience. It's usually reserved for couples in the church that are proposing to each other in marriage or ministers that are about to leave the church who have served in the church for many years saying, this is what you're leaving. Are you sure you want to go? (laughs) Now, I've only been in the church for about a year and I've done nothing to deserve this privilege if I started boasting about this opportunity that I had around church I reckon I'd make more than a few people jealous okay that's the nature of receiving a gift that you've done nothing to earn can make people around you jealous if you earn something then people will rightly say well look they deserved it good on them okay but if it's a gift and you didn't get it how do you feel Imagine that someone said to me in high school, I was a dropout, I never did any study, you can study medicine. You're in. Don't have to do anything, you're in. How do you reckon people would feel about that? Okay, Gifts make people jealous. In Jesus' day, God had an amazing plan to give his gift of salvation, which the Jews had generally rejected when they rejected Jesus, to non-Jewish people, the peoples, literally in the Greek, the Gentiles. He was planning to give his gift of salvation through faith in Jesus to the whole world. How could this be fair, though? The Jews had been God's chosen people and had followed God's teachings for thousands of years. Yes, imperfectly. These guys miss out so that everyone else can get the gift. People who up to this point had done nothing to follow God or obey his laws. Is that what God's doing? 
Yes. But that's not all. God is doing this to make his chosen people, the Jews, jealous. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, the rest of the world, so as to make Israel, the Jews, jealous. When the Jewish people realise that salvation is a gift and not something that they deserve by their work or their behaviour or their ancestry, some Jews will turn back to God and receive the gift by trusting Jesus. He wants his gift to all people to make his chosen people jealous so that they would accept the gift too. God's using jealousy as a motivation to help the people he loves to change. Now, we might provoke jealousy in our relationships by showing more favour to one person than another because of our limited human capacity, but God's love's more than big enough for everyone and he wants his chosen people to come back to him as well as all other people to come to him as well. But wait, there's even more. Paul goes on to say that he's making an even bigger deal of his work amongst non-Jewish people. Verse 13, he is magnifying his ministry to make the Jewish people even more jealous so that they might believe and have life, not death. Relationship with God through faith is a life and death matter. This message is a really big deal. So that's our first point today. God gives himself generously to provoke jealousy amongst the Jews. Now, having lived as a Roman Catholic for almost 30 years, Mass every Sunday, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I missed Mass over that 30 years, working for the St Vincent de Paul Society for many years, even running Bible studies and Alpha courses in the Catholic Church for quite a few years, I can tell you it is so much better being Protestant. You might complain about the coffee. It's pretty good here, actually, by the way. Or the music, again, quite good, probably not here. Or the minister, certainly not here. But what you have is so much better than what it is to be Catholic. If only Catholics had the chance to experience what we do. Salvation by grace alone. They might even be a little bit more than jealous. Secondly, grafted branches rely on the root and can be removed if they stop. Now Paul switches the focus from the Jews to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, and he warns them, because salvation is a gift, don't think that you're any more special than the Jews. Don't take your gift for granted. And he uses the image of an olive tree. My wife and I were in Greece recently, and there are olive trees everywhere. We might go back a couple of slides if we could. Yep, great. Um, my wife, yeah, we were in Greece recently. Olive trees everywhere. Um, we enjoyed the olive trees so much that we actually ended up planting a couple in our backyard when we got home. 
For thousands of years, olive trees have been cultivated by the Romans, the Greeks, and before them, I didn't realise this, in Palestine. Olive trees are really hardy trees and they last for hundreds of years. Some of the oldest olive trees around today are over 700 years old. Amazing, one single thing can live that long. However, sometimes a good rootstock stops bearing fruit. And sometimes good fruiting trees have really bad roots and are going to die. And the ancients were quite experienced in grafting branches from good fruiting trees into well-established rootstocks. And we've got a a picture of that uh, here, of someone today using fairly ancient um, uh, techniques. Can you have the next slide? Uh, To graft a new olive branch onto an older rootstock. Now, when Paul is talking to non-Jewish people, uh, which includes most of us, by the way, is anyone here from a Jewish background? No one. There we go. So we're all Gentiles. Okay? We're all non-Jewish people. So he's talking to us when he's talking to the Gentiles. When ta- Paul's talking to non-Jewish people about their salvation, he warns us that we're wild branches being grafted onto an ancient rootstock, which is the Jewish faith fulfilled by Jesus. There is nothing special about us. Our salvation is a gift. So we would be wise not being arrogant towards the Jews. It's the one root God's promise to the Jews developed in the Old Testament, fulfilled by Jesus, that now nourishes us. Verse 18. And here's the real warning. If God cut off some of the natural branches, the Jews because of their failure to keep trusting God so that wild branches could be grafted in, that's us, don't think that God couldn't cut you off, you wild branches, even more easily if you stopped trusting in Jesus. Okay. So the second point, grafted branches rely on the root, which is Jesus, and can be easily removed if they stop. Lastly, natural branches are easier to regraft. Paul finishes this section by turning back to the Jews, who on the whole have been cut off because of their disobedience and unbelief, who God is provoking to jealousy so that they might return to the root of their faith, who is Jesus. Paul says that if God can graft in non-Jewish people into an Old Testament faith, fulfilled by Jesus, it's even easier to regraft the natural branches, the Jewish people, back onto the tree when they accept the root. So the last point is that natural branches are much easier to regraft. Okay. Now, as someone who grew up Roman Catholic, I can't help but seeing lots of parallels between this passage and the present situation with the Roman Catholic Church. They are an ancient church with deep biblical roots. And also, like the Jews, they refuse to accept the fact that salvation is a gift received through Jesus alone. But before we look at the parallels between the Jews and the Catholic Church today, I want to think about how this church might um, talk specifically 
about the Jewish church and how the Jewish church is not the same as the Catholic church today so that we don't misread this passage. The first point I wanted to say is that Israel are the covenant people of God. The Roman Catholic church isn't. God made very special promises to the Jewish people right back in the days of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, which was our first reading today. The promises that God makes to the Jewish people are a place where he will meet with them, a future, that is descendants, and abundant blessing. These promises have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the place where God meets with man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Humanity and divinity meet together and are reconciled in Jesus. Okay, this is, Jesus is the place where humans meet God. Okay, that's promise number one. Promise number two, Jesus is the person who gives them a future, eternal life. Trusting in Jesus makes us his spiritual brothers and sisters and heirs of eternal life. Promise number two, a future. And then finally, Promise number three, blessings. Jesus is the king through whom all the blessings come. Okay, so Jesus is the fulfilment of this promise, but the promise was made to the Jews. It's mind-blowing to think that all of the thousand years, thousands of years of Old Testament history have been pointing to and fulfilled by one man, Jesus. Reconciliation with God, assurance of eternal life, and an inheritance that is unimaginable. And it's all for free. It's a gift. It's amazing. Don't you get excited when you hear that? It's just so huge and so good. Okay. Every faithful Jew will ultimately receive these promises through Jesus. That's the promise that he made to them back in the days of Abraham. In verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, Paul can say that all Israel will be saved. Okay? These Jew, the Jews are still inheritors of these promises. God doesn't go back on his word. They just need to trust the root, which is the fulfilment of these promises, Jesus. Now, despite the claims of the Roman Catholic Church to be the new Israel, which is what they claim, and to be the continuation of Jesus in the world today, which they also claim, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't have a claim to these promises in the same way that the Jews do because it's not in the Bible. Okay? So the Roman Catholic Church are not the same as the Jewish Church in that they can't claim to have these promises made specifically to them in the way that the Jewish Church actually can. All right, that's the first difference. Secondly, we know that the Jewish people were hardened so that non-Jewish people like us could be saved. Okay, that's what the passage that we looked at uh, has just been saying. Now, you could say that the Roman Catholic Church has become hardened against trusting God's gift of salvation through grace alone, received by faith alone, most clearly seen when they opposed people like John Calvin and Martin Luther in the Reformation, that God hardened the Roman Catholic Church so that God's gift could grow abundantly amongst the Protestant churches. You could say that. It might be true. It might not. We don't know because it's not in the Bible. We do know that the Jewish church was hardened for a time so that the gospel could go to all of us. Okay? It's my hope and prayer that the Catholic church isn't so hardened that they can't become part of God's promises again by trusting in Jesus alone through faith alone 
but we don't know what the future holds. Okay? So thirdly, we don't know whether God's given up on the Catholic Church or not. We know that God hasn't given up on the Jewish Church because of the promises that he makes to them. I pray and depend on God's gracious character and hope that God hasn't permanently hardened the Catholic Church, but we don't have any promises to know that that might not necessarily be the case. We do have to know that God hasn't given up on the Jews. So there are a few differences between the Jewish Church and the Roman Catholic Church, but there's lots of parallels that I think will be helpful for us as we relate to our Roman Catholic friends and family and neighbours. So let's see... Uh, what we can learn from this and apply uh, to our relationships with Catholics today. First of all, the dividing issue is still the same. The issue of the Book of Romans is a defence of God's righteousness in saving people through grace alone. Okay, That's what he's on about in the Book of Romans. It's a defence of God being right in saving people by grace alone. I'm not afraid of the Gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. First for the Jews and then for the rest of the world. That's how Paul starts off his letter. It's all about salvation by grace alone. Now these issues that were issues in Jesus' day and changed the world in Jesus' day are still the issues that remain a stumbling block for the Roman Catholic Church today. This is the radical idea that still divides the Catholic and Protestant Church. So that's point number one. The issue is still the same. Point number two both Protestants and Catholics share a common historical root. For better or worse, Protestants and Catholics share thousands of years of common history. God's faithfulness to his Old Testament people is part of both our histories, isn't it? The life, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is part of both our histories. The challenges that the early church fathers faced to teach this message clearly and the controversies that arose like the Trinitarian controversies and the Christological controversies that we all study at Bible College, they're actually part of our history as these guys wrestled these things out. And they're part of the history of the Catholic Church. The way the Roman Empire became Christian overnight and um, Christianity became the national religion is part of the Catholic history and it's part of our history. Um, People like Augustine and Pelagius and the way they debated truths about Jesus, part of both our history. The Middle Ages and Thomas Aquinas is part of our history just as much as it is part of the Roman Catholic Church's history. And guys like Erasmus and the rise of humanism is also part of our history and the Roman Catholic Church's history. Um, We need to understand some of these things that went on before we became Christian. These are the witnesses of faithful Christians over 200 years that have wrestled with and tried to understand and apply the gospel in their lives. It's quite reasonable when Catholics sometimes are wary of Protestants who seem to think Christianity started 500 years ago with the Reformation okay, and who seem to have forgotten or ignored 1,500 years of faithful Christian witness that happened before that time. Some of the drift that we're actually seeing from Protestant churches towards the Roman Catholic Church around the world seems to be coming from evangelical churches that have lost their historical rootedness and the attraction of an institution that's been around for 200 years seems to sway some people away. I think it's really great that you're doing a Reformation series, for example, to understand your historical context and your rootedness and I hope you continue to learn 
from great Christian understandings from the past because we do share the same roots that Roman Catholics do. Third application point, change. Paul's ministry involved radical change. A change from Jewish people receiving God's special blessings to the special blessings being available to everyone. Institutions rose and fell and eventually empires changed as a result of this message. Okay? And this radical idea still involves radical change. The Catholic Church will need to change dramatically if it's not too late to remain Christian. Rome will need to fall as the centre for Christianity and the Pope will be out of a job if they continue in the Christian church. And all of this change involves struggle and conflict. So don't think it's all going to be nice and peaceful, any sort of progress of Christianity and sort of um, ways that the Protestant and Catholic church uh, um, relate to each other. Change is painful and it does involve conflicts. We can't get away from that. It happened in Paul's day. It'll continue happening in our day. We can't avoid conflict. We need to go through it wisely. So change is a result of this radical idea of salvation through grace alone. Fourthly, jealousy. The Catholic Church is actually quite envious of the growth of the Protestant Church, particularly from amongst Roman Catholics. You can see this happening most clearly in South America, where in most of our lifetimes there has been the most dramatic growth in Christianity numerically and perhaps even in percentage terms ever. South America 30 years ago was 99% Roman Catholic. Okay. About 100 years ago, the American North American missionary agencies decided to be intentional about Catholic evangelism and actually send missionaries to South America to plant churches, to start Bible colleges. 100 years ago, that started. 30 years ago, you start to see the fruit of that work. And in the last 30 years, the percentage of Roman Catholics in South America, and this is a whole continent, this is about half a billion people, it's gone from 99% to a bit over 60% okay, in the space of 30 years. The percentage of people that call themselves Protestants has gone from less than 1% to almost 30%. That's over 100 million people in the last 30 years that have started coming to churches where they can hear this radical idea of salvation by grace alone. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, the Catholic Church knows that that's going on, and it's not just going on in South America. In North America, you hear quite a lot about church growth in North America. It's almost all coming from Catholics that are leaving the Catholic Church and joining Protestant churches in North America. And it's not just happening in North America, it's happening in Europe as well. Have you guys heard about the revival happening in France? Over the last 30 years ago, Protestantism was well and truly less than 1%. But over the last 30 years, there's been a steady growth of Protestant churches in France, so much so that in the last five years, they planted 500 churches in France. 500 churches in five years. That's impressive. And that rate of growth has been going for 30 years and it's showing no signs of slowing down. Okay? The Catholic Church knows this. The Pope knows this because he was the minister, he was the uh, Archbishop of South America whilst all of this was going on. That's why they picked him, to try and stop this massive growth of Protestant religion within Catholic contexts. 
Okay, they're jealous of what's going on in the uh, evangelical and the Protestant churches, and they've got a strategy to deal with this. Uh, have you guys worked out what the strategy is yet? They've been doing it particularly over the last three or four years under Pope Francis. The strategy is to look as Protestant as possible, as evangelical as possible. Okay? Um, the Pope is publishing material that actually sounds like it's written by a Protestant. Okay? His, first, uh, his first encyclical was called The Joy of the Gospel. And it's full of Protestant language. Uh, if you read older Pope encyclicals, they're written completely differently. They're written in very Catholic language, which is hard for us to understand. But now they're trying to look Protestant because they've seen what's happened with all of the Catholics leaving the Catholic Church and joining Protestant churches. Do you know what the tragedy of it is? It's the appearance of Protestantism or the appearance of evangelicalism without the gospel. Okay? Pope's first book, you can read it. It's not that hard to understand. The joy of the gospel, I can't find the gospel in it. Okay, so they're trying to look evangelical, run Bible studies, promote Bible studies, all those sorts of things, without actually believing the gospel. Okay? Now that presents us with some challenges and opportunities, but we need to be aware that that's what's going on. Okay? They're, they're jealous of what's happening amongst Protestant churches, and they're trying to copy the way we do things. You talk to the guys in your church that are working on campus, and they'll have noticed the change that's happened in the last five years in the way that the Catholic Church is doing ministry in the university campuses, for example. Okay? So, I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying we need to be aware of it and intentional about how we respond. Okay. Point five, almost there, boasting. We should need to say this, but because of our sinfulness we do. There's nothing any more special about us that we deserve the gift of receiving Christ by faith alone only because of God's undeserved graciousness that we've become to believe that this is true, if we have. So there's no place for boasting before Catholics other than in Christ and the goodness of his grace. We can talk about and show how good it is to be saved by grace. Paul magnified his ministry, but there's no place for discrimination, social deprivation or exclusion, ridicule, exerting our rights over theirs, anti-Catholic attack or thinking that we are better in any way than Roman Catholics. God could even more easily remove the gospel of grace through faith alone from our churches as he has from the Catholic Church if we stop trusting in Jesus. Thank God most of the bad old days of the bitter division between Catholics and Protestants in Australia has mostly gone but we mustn't make it harder for Catholics to find their way into our churches than Jesus would. Lastly, Catholics are easy to graft in. Once a Catholic has accepted the gospel and left the Catholic church, they fit into church life much more easily than anyone else in our society. They know the importance of going to church each week. They believe the Bible's important and just need some help in learning how to read it for themselves. They believe that Jesus is God. Their moral behaviour and ethics have largely been shaped by the Bible. Unlike other groups in our community who might be postmodern, post-truth, agnostic or humanist, many Catholics have avoided these pitfalls. So what can we take from this passage today? God's people have been saved by grace alone. So don't boast. 
humbly stand firm in what we have, the most precious gift in the universe, and not shift back towards Catholicism, as some evangelicals are, however much we might desire unity. Stand firm in what you've received, Jesus. But desire reincorporation of Catholics into churches with sound biblical roots, making it as easy as possible for them to come in and be intentional about it, because there's lots of them around us, by understanding them better and even adapting some of the things that we do and the way that we do things for their sake. I often say, would you put a candle in your church if it made it easy for a Catholic person to come in and hear the gospel? I mean, candle's just one, it's a lighting decision. It's nothing more important than that. Would you do that if it made it easy? Oh, you've got a lovely building. The stained glass windows behind us would be quite attractive to many people from a Catholic background. At the church I'm at in Manly, because we've got a sandstone building and stained glass windows, we've got lots of Catholics coming into our building, which is terrific. We don't want to lose that because it gives us an opportunity to share the gift that God's given us, the gospel, with them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we often say the words salvation by grace um, very quickly. Yet, Father, thank you this morning for giving us an opportunity to reflect on them more deeply, to think about how they affect the lives of millions of people in the days of John Calvin, to think about the way that they affected the lives of the whole world in the days of Jesus. And, Father, the way that this simple idea, this radical idea, uh, has such a profound impact on the world around us today and will continue to do so until Jesus returns. As ministers of this message, please help us to stand firm in it, be wise, and most of all, be generous. Father, we pray these things through Jesus. Amen.